This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. I'd like to encourage you, if you have your copy of God's Word, to please open it to the New Testament book of Galatians. This morning we are starting a series that will be in for the next few months and working our way through the book of Galatians. As you're turning there, I uh, just wanted to give you an update on my daughter Emma as well as a prayer request. Emma has still been doing very well. Uh, we've been very encouraged by the way she's continuing to work to, to straighten her arms on her own and even her legs. We still support her arms as we lift them, but when we give her a command and ask her, Emma, will you please straighten your arms? She's able to do it, and when we say bend it back, she will bring it back. So we're very thankful for the progress that is being made there. And a real praise, um, this winter was the first winter since 2016. She has not needed any antibiotics for anything. And so that's a real praise. No pneumonia or anything. We praise the Lord for that. Now, here's the request that I would leave with you. Many of you have been asking regarding the insurance issues that have arisen. Um, as Emma's lungs have improved, she's not as dependent on her ventilator at night. In fact, she's on her ventilator anywhere, anywhere, anywhere from six to eight hours. Um, but the money she receives for nursing care is connected to the number of hours she's on her ventilator. So as that number has decreased now, the state is working, or based on their policies, going to be removing some of the funding that we receive for nursing care. We've appealed this decision. And we have a hearing date, and I want to ask you to pray for God's favor. Our hearing date is May 19th. That's a Friday. It will be by telephone. So just pray for God's grace and favor to be at work that we may receive exactly what Emma needs. Um, so thank you for praying for that, and we're just trusting the Lord. Uh, so Friday, May 19th, uh, please be praying for that date and all to go well there. Well, as I said, this morning I'm starting a series in the book of Galatians. And we'll be starting at verse 1 of chapter 1, and this morning we'll be focusing on verses 1 through 5. So if you're at the book of Galatians, follow with me as I read the beginning of this letter. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. May God be glorified in the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. Anyone who has written a paper can tell you that the most difficult part of writing usually is beginning. How do you get started? How do you start the introduction? Where do you begin? For anyone who has done public speaking or preached can tell you the same thing. Sometimes the most difficult part when you're working through the week to put the message together is asking yourself, how do I start this? How do I begin this? What's the, the hook to draw interest? It's the challenge of a good beginning. 
And as one who has been called to preach, I've always been fascinated by those who do introductions extraordinarily well. When you do a study in the history of speeches, you come across some speeches that, man, the beginning was all that you could hope for and more. For example, Shakespeare in the play Julius Caesar put up on the lips of Mark Anthony, Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Or perhaps in American history, one of the greatest beginnings of any speech was delivered by Abraham Lincoln on November 19, 1863. He'd been asked to deliver a, a few words at the dedication of Gettysburg as a national cemetery. The beginning of that speech are words that are truly famous, for that's when Lincoln said, Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a nation dedicated to uh, a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Powerful words. In fact, in that speech, Lincoln went on to say these words. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. That this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. Freedom. It's interesting that in that speech, Lincoln, he, he wove together two themes of, of death and hope. Of death and new birth. Of slavery and freedom. Freedom is a, a theme that's at the heart of the gospel. You think about freedom, it's something that we all long for. We all long to be free to, to do what we would, not to feel the, the pressure of, of whether it be work or the chains that often hold us down from our, in our own problems. That's why the Scripture from beginning to end has a theme of freedom. The high point of Jewish history is the Exodus. What is the Exodus? Freedom. Those who are enslaved being set free by the power of God. Jesus in the Gospel of John made a statement. And in fact, Jesus spoke often of freedom. And Jesus said in the Gospel of John, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you Paul continued this theme when Corinthians where he said, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When Paul wrote the book of Galatians, he was writing to address some issues that had arisen that were threatening the freedom that comes about through the gospel. It's that very threat to the freedom of the Christian that caused Paul to write. In fact, when you read through Galatians from start to finish, and I encourage you to do that. We're going to be in Galatians for quite a while, so begin reading through it on a regular basis. And you'll find that there is a heat that rises from this letter it's a heat that is born of the passion Paul felt for the gospel. It's a heat that comes out from his concern for the church. It's a heat of intensity that the gospel is being corrupted. Therefore, the letter of Galatians is like a tornado warning that is echoing out through the ages. Paul begins with a greeting. Now, this is not uncommon. Most letters began with a greeting. Remember, they would read from scrolls. So as you began to unroll the scroll at the very top would be stated who wrote the letter. You see, we get letters and we can look at the return address or skip on down to the bottom of the page when we used to get snail mail and see who sent it. But even now, 
In many ways, emails like a return to the scroll. You see automatically who this is from. Well, Paul begins that way. But this introduction to the letter is more than just a, hello, this is Paul, how are you doing? In this letter, Paul not only gives a greeting, but he gives a guide to understanding the book of Galatians. For in these five verses, Paul begins to introduce the themes that he's going to bring about as this letter unfolds. Now it begins the normal way, Paul, an apostle. An apostle is one who has been called by God and sent out with a specific message. The word apostle literally means one who is sent with a message. Now, on that level, we're all apostles. An apostle in many ways is like an ambassador. It's one who speaks a message on behalf of the one who originated the message. The apostle would speak with the authority of the one who sent the message. But there is a difference between Paul as an apostle and us serving as apostles. Paul and the other apostles were granted an authority because they had seen Jesus in person and been commissioned by Jesus in person. Now, while Paul was not one of the original 12, on the road to Damascus, he encountered the risen Lord physically and was thereby commissioned by Jesus himself. So while we can say we are apostles, we have been sent out with a message representing the Lord as ambassadors. I do not think we can say we carry the same authority as the Apostle Paul, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the Scripture. In fact, when I say inspired by the Spirit, that's something that Paul himself emphasized. Look at the very next phrase. He has been sent out, not by men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Paul makes it clear that the source of his message is God himself. In fact, when he writes, through Jesus Christ and God the Father, it's a very unique way of phrasing that. Typically, you would see God the Father and Jesus Christ. But Paul is wanting the the readers to be certain they know that Jesus is God himself, is equal with God, for he is God. There are many cults today who will tell you that Jesus was not divine, but was granted divinity as far away as 300 years from his existence. That's hogwash. Here in the early church, Paul is writing this approximately 30 years after Jesus ascended to heaven. And within 30 years, Paul is recognizing, teaching the truth. Jesus was God incarnate, equal with God. But in this phrase where he says, I'm an apostle, not from men or through men, Paul is beginning to answer an accusation that was leveled against him. They were saying Paul's message is corrupt. You see, the freedom of the early Christians was being hemmed in by this issue. In the Old Testament, those who were called to be God's people were marked out or defined by following the Torah, by being circumcised, by following the dietary laws. That's how you knew you were a part of the people of God. Now, Paul comes preaching the gospel. And he is saying that the one boundary marker is being filled with the Spirit. It's not being circumcised. It's not following the law. It's not dietary things. It is simply being filled with the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit comes about through faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
And remember, the early church was born out of Judaism. So now you have the Jewish believers that are saying, wait a minute, Paul. One, you're jettisoning everything we've grown up with. We have been taught since we were children that those who are of God's family are circumcised and follow the dietary law and follow the Torah. So Paul, how can you throw out all of our our tradition? How can you ignore God's revelation in the Old Testament? Plus, Paul, if you go down that route of saying that it's only by the Spirit you are saved and defined as the people of God, You are opening the door for people to sin as much as they want. What's to stop them if you remove the Torah? So Paul, this was the accusation. We think you're preaching just to gain a following, to please man. Because you're telling them they are loved unconditionally. You're telling them that you don't have to worry about the Torah or any of these things. So Paul, you're just trying to please people. In fact, look down to verse 10. Paul states it plainly, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul is saying, I'm not trying to please people. I'm not trying to tickle their ears by telling them what they want to hear. To the contrary, Paul says, the gospel I am preaching has its source in God himself. It's a message from him that has been ordained by God. I'm not speaking on behalf of the apostles in Jerusalem, nor as their representative. Paul says, I've been called by God. I'm speaking for God with the authority of God. And One of the themes that will return continually throughout Galatians is that the message of the gospel cannot be cast aside or altered to fit our whims and our desires. In fact, Paul comes back at the end of verse 1 and he identifies God the Father as the one who raised him, that is Jesus, from the dead. At the center of the gospel that Paul proclaims, at the center of the gospel that you and I believe and proclaim is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a theme that Paul, he will not return to in this letter. In fact, in Galatians, Paul will center in on the cross, that is, the death of Jesus But here at the beginning, Paul gives a reminder that the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. As he said in Corinthians, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, we are still in our sins. And we are still among all men most to be pitied. Now Paul goes on in verse 2. After establishing that his message is from God... As God raised Jesus from the dead and the resurrection of Jesus is at the center point of our faith, he returns back to his main theme. And all the brothers who are with me. This message is not just from Paul himself, but it's from all the brothers. That is, the church. In fact, many of your Bibles may have a little asterisk or a a superscript one next to brothers, and you'll see in the footnotes that it refers to brothers and sisters. That's a reference to the whole church. By referring to the whole church as brothers, Paul is pointing to the equality within the church. That there are no second-class saints. Remember, at the time Paul is writing in the Greco-Roman world, 
while women had rights, they were still viewed as second-class citizens. So Paul, by using the term brothers, he's not being sexist. He's not hating women. He's simply saying that men and women in Jesus Christ are all equal in value and calling. He's preparing us for what he will say in Galatians chapter 2, where he, or chapter 3, where he writes these words, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, I know there are those who would twist the words of Paul there to say that there's no uh, distinction between the sexes. Now, Paul is not eradicating the difference between male and female. Not at all. But what he is saying is the value of a person in God's sight and within the church. The value is not based on your gender. It's not based on your socioeconomic status. It's not based on where you're from. Your value is secure in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we're all on equal ground at the foot of the cross. That's why Paul says, and the brothers, in other words, the rest of the church who are with me. Paul is not some lone ranger Christian going out on his own, going rogue. He is saying, I'm speaking on the church, writing from the church at Antioch to say, this is the message that the church is behind in writing to you, brothers and sisters in Galatia. So he says to the churches of Galatia. So this letter was to be read by the churches that were throughout the province of Galatia. We don't know exactly how many churches were there. But in this area, think of it like a county. You had all these churches that are falling under the same influence of questioning. What's the sign? What's the defining marker of the family of God? Now, Paul begins his letter after this brief introduction and moves to verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very Christianized greeting. The word grace, charis, can also be translated joy or rejoice. And I love the fact that in the Greek language, the word for grace and the word for joy are one and the same. Grace gives joy. Grace to you. Now, grace, I would remind you, is the unmerited goodwill of God. It's God's goodness given to us when we don't deserve it. It's God's love given to us when we cannot earn it. It is grace that God cares for us, supplies for us, has saved us. So it is grace to you. In other words, bathe yourself in the grace of God. Live in that grace of God. And notice what follows closely from grace. Peace from God. The New Testament idea of peace is an expression of the Old Testament word shalom. Which means well-being, serenity, knowing that all is well. That idea of shalom is well reflected in the words of the hymn by Horatio Spatford. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot I can say, it is well with my soul. That's peace. Now, Two things to point out here. Note the source of grace and peace because from God our Father is connected to both. Grace from God, peace from God. The source of grace and peace is not good luck, but a good God. 
The source of grace and peace is not karma. It's Christ. The source of grace and peace comes from on high. And also the second thing I would point out is notice the order. Grace always precedes peace. If we want to know peace, we must know the grace and the goodwill of God. Our stability, our assurance, and our hope lies in the grace of God. There's a a power in God's grace that reminds us that God loves you unconditionally, therefore be at ease. An assurance in the grace of God that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be at rest. And this indeed is what we hunger for. All humanity hungers for that unconditional love that gives grace and peace. Way back, talk about going back in the day. On June 11th of 1988, apartheid was still raging in South Africa. And on that date, June 11th, 1988, a concert was put on at Wembley Stadium to raise awareness about apartheid as well as to petition that Nelson Mandela be released from prison in South Africa. Now, this was one of those all-day-long rock concerts. Like 20 of the largest rock bands in the world had gathered. There were 72,000 people in attendance. This was not a quiet Sunday afternoon tea in England. This was raucous rock and roll. That's why the people who were there were a little bit puzzled. When after hours and hours of music, they decided then, as night fell, to have an opera singer come on stage. It was a little bit like a, I don't know, like a circle among squares. Why would you have an opera singer come after hearing the who? The Rolling Stones. The opera singer who was there was a lady by the name of Jessie Norman. She walked out on the stage. No band. Just a spotlight following her. And she walked out on stage crowd began to boo, scream. They weren't there for an opera singer. They were there for rock and roll. And as they began to shout at her and scream, she simply lifted her head and began to sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found. Was blind. But now I see. And as she sang those words that are so familiar to us. An amazing thing happened. Those who were there said it was like a wave of peace. Came across those 72,000 people. And by the time she finished, they were not shouting at her. They were singing with her. To me, it's that reminder of the thing we long for and hunger for and need is the grace of God that gives us peace. His grace. I hope you know that peace. 
I hope this morning you know the grace of God. Now, next week, we're going to pick up more with the verses 4 and 5. But this morning, I just want to leave you with knowing that God's grace is sufficient. And as we go through this letter, we're going to come back time and time again to know and to see that our salvation rests on God's grace and that His Spirit is sufficient. I want to ask you, if you will, to bow your heads with me, if you will. This morning, if you do not know the grace of which I have preached this morning, I want to invite you, whether it be during the invitation or at the end of the service, to please come and talk with me. I want you to understand that when I said all is level at the foot of the cross, I meant that. We tend to look and say, well, that person's a worse person than I am or that person's a better person. The truth is we are all in need of the grace of God that gives peace. So if you don't know that grace, I invite you this morning to ask about it. And this morning, if you're hungering for peace, Know that it's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not saying that all your problems are going to go away. That all the troubles you face will suddenly disappear. But I tell you, based on God's word. And upon my experience. That God gives a peace that passes all understanding. And this morning, if your heart is in turmoil, I ask you to know. That God's grace is with you. He's with you. Father, every one of us this morning come before you and we are needy. We acknowledge that. Forgive us of our pride that makes us think we've got it all together. And we don't need you as much as somebody else. Father, we need your grace and peace. Father, I thank you that you give both abundantly. So, Lord, this morning I pray that our hearts and minds will be open to not just know it, but to truly receive it, to glory in your grace, to rejoice in your peace. <coughs> Father, grant this to the glory of your name that I pray.